I'm delighted to be here this morning with Balaj Kegel, um, who I met on Twitter, which turns out to be a very convenient place to meet interesting people. And Balaj is a computer scientist with a PhD in AI. And uh, we've been um, touching on some of the same topics in our Twitter feeds. And so I thought it would be interesting to have Balaj come on and talk about this recent kerfluffle over um, chat GPT-4 and uh, the increasing supposed dangers of AI. And uh, so Balaj, could you give us just a couple of minutes, talk about your background, and then maybe we can dig into this. There's more material. We have enough material here to cover yes. about six episodes at least. So. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Karen, and thank you for inviting me. And I'm really happy to be here. Uh, as you said, I'm a computer scientist. I did my PhD in 99 in AI, and I've been doing AI since then. So mostly in academia, but then in 90, 2019, I joined a company where we, we I continue to do AI research in applications. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about this, you know, when I think back to 99, it was like a tiny community of Little, as, little bit as esoteric uh, community within computer science, the AI people, because we were coming from all over the, the place, you know. And even in the departments, the AI, uh, AI, AI lab was a little bit weird because we were all interested in cognitive science and psychology and neuroscience. And even uh, NeurIPS, which is the biggest conference, was this pool of all kinds of people. So it's so interesting to see how it exploded into into the big audience in the last 10, 15 years. And so there are a lot of things that are happening and I'm really looking forward to talking to you about these things. Yeah, this is interesting that you mentioned that there, there, there were people in that community dealing with cognitive science and, and neuroscience even back then, because um, I was just listening to something from OpenAI where they were talking about alignment and the, the guy who was doing the video was complaining that there aren't enough people in AI right now that are serious about philosophy and cognitive science and, and neuropsychology and those things, because those are all very, very important as it turns out in this field. <clears throat> so you, do you find that, that um, there are enough people that are not just focused on the, the hard numbers, but that are focused on the, um, the other implications that are arising out of this? I cannot say if it's enough. There are some, especially the older people. The interesting thing to me was that, you know, I was always thinking why I went into this domain. And it, I, I was always interested in other stuff, just not only computer science. And this seemed to be the domain where you could, you had the pretext to do, to be interested in philosophy and cognitive science. Mm -hmm. And this was very much the, the mood in the 90s like people people were interested in the brain and they were interested in psychology and on the engineering side those were the people who were interested in the softer subjects and later in my life i figured that it was maybe i was interested in understanding myself now i think yeah so when I think about the current AI scene, maybe there are less of those people who connect their interest in the domain and in what they do to who they are 
and really think about why they chose that subject, you know, that they chose. Mm -hmm. And look, it's a, we could be nostalgic about this, but I think it's uh, it's not very constructive. I mean, it's better to concentrate on the present and, and deal with the, the things that, which for me, at least, you know, I mean, I'm a very optimistic guy, so I'm, I'm much more excited about everything that happens than I'm afraid. But I think yes. So, so there are so many things going on now. So, so I think being nostalgic about the about the lack of maybe breadth mm -hmm. in the domain it doesn't lead anywhere. I think there are enough people. Maybe they don't have the the the, the strongest voice, which is a pity. And one reason I'm here is to to give the, them and, and the thoughts more voice. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, Yes, I think we should, we should just uh, concentrate on. Well, I'm glad on. you I'm glad you brought up fear. Yeah, because that's one of the things that we related to each other on is that if you let yourself be ruled by fear, um, there aren't too many places to go <laughs> except down the <laughs> hole. And uh, <clears throat> just as a kind of a, a grounding, I wanted to mention some. I woke up in the middle of the night and I was thinking about how many different times have they tried in my life to manipulate by a fear you know what were all the big oh. you know stopping points and so um i'm older so i was in high school and college in the late 60s and back in and and a young married in 1969 i got married well wow. thing then was zero population growth we're going to have well two things the climate is going yes. to go to an ice age Yes. And we're all going to be destroyed by a coming ice age by the year 2000. And the earth is going to be overpopulated and there's not going to be enough food. And so they told everybody don't have children. So everybody's getting their tubes tied and getting sterilized and all this stuff. So then in the late 70s, the big fear was the economic system is going to collapse. And there were books written and talking heads and, you know, all sorts of television programs. And everybody's trying to create this fear of the economic collapse of the system. That's actually what got me interested in history and economics and politics, because I felt like I had to understand what was happening. The world was just falling apart around us. <clears throat> then in the 80s, it was mutually assured destruction, the MAD all the nuclear holocaust that was coming right then in the late 90s it was y2k <laughs> you probably because you were in computer science at the time you remember, I remember it. nobody could believe now that that could have been such a big thing but there were people buying barrels to store water in and buying um buying food to keep them for a year because they thought the whole system was going the electric grid was going to collapse and the whole computer system was going to go down on December 31st, 1999, going into January 1st of 2000. And, and I'm not bringing it up because it was a silly problem. I'm bringing it up because the news media used that to create fear for months because that allowed them mm. to sell newspapers, right? And uh, now the news media has created an opportunity well the internet has created an opportunity to, to foment the cognitive bias on both sides of the political spectrum so one side is afraid that the other side is trying to kill them and this is true on both sides it, i don't know how it is in your country but in america 
both sides of the political spectrum are saying, those guys are out to destroy the world. No, those guys are out to destroy the world. So it's just fear all around. And now in the last year, now it's AI is going to destroy the world if we don't stop it. So we have plenty of reasons to doubt the fear mongering, but it also looks like there might be some things to be a little bit cautious about with AI. So that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah, definitely. I'm 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 not an extremist on either side. I think there are a lot of things happened and what interest what is interesting about what you're saying is that this time I don't think fear was started by the media. This whole GPT stuff came from the tech world. Mm-hmm. And from some of the researchers. I think there are, if, if you look at the extremes, there are two. One, one says that everything is going to be beautiful and AI will solve climate change and all the other problems that we'll, we will face in the next century. The other side says we have to stop because AI will kill us all. It's a really extreme position, like it's extermination. It's even worse than nuclear holocaust because they really think that it will be zero humans. And it's uh, it's neither of those, but I think what's going to happen is neither of those. And we can talk about it, what I think about this, but there's a third poll in this debate. And I really liked uh, John Verbecki's uh, essay on, on this because mm-hmm. he's representing a little bit that that poll that tries to look at this AI as an opportunity. Uh, for me, this everything that happens in the tech world, including AI, it's like a, it's like a giant mirror. And it forces us to look in, in that mirror and understand who we are. Mm-hmm. So once you start creating things that come from this dead world, that scientific world of objects, and it becomes like a mind, necessarily that will force you to think about what a mind is, who you are, who we are, why are we here? Right? And so fear enters into this picture from a lot of different angles. One is pretty easy to understand is if you look at GPT-4, so it's a very, it's, it's, it's a very uh, technical and very particular thing that happened between GPT-3 and GPT-4 that maybe for the big public is not so clear. So at GPT-3, even the researchers were saying like, we are just going linear. This went out in the public because some, somehow there was a use case for it. But when GPT-4 came out, even the researchers looked at themselves and, and said that they, we, we didn't predict it. We didn't predict the, the, the certain capacities of GPT-4 that are really easy to see. So reasoning, inventing things that, were, that it was not trained to do, while the training is, you know, technically is very simple. It's just trying to predict the next word in a text. How how did these other capacities emerge from this kind of training? We don't know. So that that thing where you you know you face that your expertise, you are an AI researcher, you were supposed to know where this was going, and you were supposed to see at least six months ahead what's going to happen, and you face it that you have something that you know I was there to create it, and and some somehow this thing. Okay, it didn't be, didn't become alive, but somehow there are 
things that emerge from them that I didn't predict. So that, that generates a fear because it, it's sort of, you can ask yourself, how good am I to predict stuff in general? Well, and, and we might give just a couple of examples of kinds of things that emerged that they weren't expecting. One of them is that somehow it was able to teach itself how to do um, research chemistry better than the research chemistry AI <clears throat> bots that were created in order to do research chemistry. So basically they didn't realize that research chemistry was in that thing when they put it out in the public. And now there's enough information in there, enough capacity in there to teach any terrorist how to build any bad thing it wants to build with just using stuff from Home Depot. And nobody knew that was in there. And nobody knows how it got in there. And, and another one that I thought was really interesting is the uh, all of a sudden, even though it's always answered its questions in English, all of a sudden it developed the capacity to answer questions in Persian. And nobody ever taught it to do that. So how did it learn Persian? Right. Or why did it even think it needed to learn Persian? <laughs> Of course, I know we're using anthropomorphic <laughs> language here, yes, and I'm, exactly. I'm using think and all of that. There's no other way to talk about it. So, yeah, I cannot comment on these two cases. I know this this happened, and it was in the media. My guess would be that there would be some some data that was going into GPT-4 that allowed it to learn Persian, and mm -hmm. some somehow the the chemistry knowledge was taught to GPT-4. Mm -hmm. But this still, there are there are capacities like in on the reasoning side and maybe learning how to draw from just textual knowledge using some mm -hmm. graphic languages, uh, which are really really in interesting. I would call it interesting more than scary, right? And we can well, talk did, about did that. that one, part, why why I'm not really scared? Did you see the one where it can look at the fMRI and recognize what the person is thinking just based on the the? Uh... But that that's not GPT. That's like that's more, more computer vision. And this these technologies where there is there is no exponential growth there. I I I had colleagues that were working on this this, this domain and that's not going very fast. The depth and the detail you see from the brain just by looking at. FMRI is not very high. So again, that doesn't really scare me. It's, it's, it can, there can be interesting applications of this, helping people uh -huh. who don't have, uh, cannot move. Uh, but I, I just don't see how, why I should be scared about that, you know? Well, okay. So one of the reasons that the people say that there's no reason to fear is that there's no way for AI to like escape the machine to say, take control of a million robots or something, right? Because yeah. we don't have robots that are capable. We don't have robots, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, I want to tell you a little story. There's this <laughs> totally random TV show that I started watching called Mrs. Davis. <laughs> and it is a story about a nun, a woman who becomes a nun. I mean, it's just completely random. But it's in a time when when the algorithm has become everybody's best friend. So everybody walks around with an earbud and, and, the, and they talk to the algorithm all the time and algorithm answers their questions or suggests things for them to do or, and, and because it's everybody's best friend, it's very persuasive. Well, this nun has decided she doesn't want anything to do with this algorithm. 
But through the course of the show, she kind of gets forced into having to interact with the algorithm. And at one point, she's in a situation where she has to have a million euros in order to accomplish a task she's been given. Otherwise, a whole bunch of people are going to get hurt. So she's forced to ask the algorithm, I need a million euros. And And the algorithm says, sure, no problem. And, and the nun is like, well, how can you do that? And the next thing that happens is that a garbage truck drives by and drops off some garbage bags in her lap and then drives on. And then all of a sudden, people start coming to her and handing her one or two euros. And, and she realizes she's supposed to start filling these garbage bags. <clears throat> and within just a very short time, she has four great big garbage bags filled with money. So she has her million euros to do what she needs to do. No robots involved just persuaded people but that's that's a very interesting question so yeah so we can talk about the robots later but if yeah so so there there is definitely that thing that uh, the algorithm the algorithms it's let's see if you look at youtube it's yeah. one algorithm <laughs> or maybe yeah. several ones but they all are inside the same box that are proposing us content right or Facebook's content proposal algorithm. So two things about this. One is that it's been there for 15 years. And we know it's from the social dilemma. It's not, that this is not new, right? Mm-hmm. So our first, that's what they call, you know, Tristan Harris, that's what he calls the first encounter with the AI that didn't very, go very well, was to be the recommendation engines, not with GPT. Mm-hmm. The second thing, what I want to say is that you can turn it off, you know? <clears throat> so that's an important thing. Your free will is still there. And also, you know, if you go to my my, uh, my Substack, I have a story on this. Like, I got rid of Facebook on my phone. Time mm-hmm. to time I log in because I need to. But because of the addictive feature of the algorithm that mm-hmm. somehow in 2020 really got me hooked. I started to watch a lot of MMA videos, mm-hmm. martial art videos, and it was really, it took a lot of time, like, and especially in the evening where my frontal lobe was already sleeping, mm-hmm. my crocodile brain took over <laughs> and I was all into the, you know, the, the fight the mm-hmm. physical fight and i had adrenaline in my body i was all worked up and mm-hmm. i felt like moving with the guys you know mm-hmm. and then i woke up the, the day after and i was like who am i you know like who was the, the other guy who was like completely hooked on this and spent like two hours watching one video after the other so two things happened this this my other self the frontal lobe you know the control mm-hmm. <laughs> decided to switch off from facebook because i figured that my crocodile brain at night will not be able to stop if it's there but if it's not there it will not be able to reinstall it and start to watch it either mm-hmm. <laughs> right so you can always do this but the more interesting thing happened was that i took this story and went to see my therapist with it. And we started to look at my browsing history as a dream. 
something to analyze, something that says something about myself. And it's not, it's the, the analogy with the dream is pretty good because your frontal lobe are already sleeping. So you're basically half sleeping. Some other part of your brain is just clicking, clicking, clicking. So you go down a rabbit hole that's very much driven by your subconscious. Mm-hmm. And it's telling something about what you want, really. And so I decided at 51 to go down in the dojo and start jujitsu because I figured that the, the real drive behind this addiction was that, you know. So this is something as, as like I'm, I'm using this story to, to illustrate that with anything that you know that's addictive and seems like destroying society and eating the brain of the young, you can always use it if you step outside a little bit and look at it, what's happening, you can use it to know yourself better. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is, you know, one of the, the, the moments in my life where I realized that, you know, AI, yes, it's presenting a lot of things. It's, it's, it's a new technology. It makes the world, you know, very fluid and flexible. You, you, you can access any information you want at the same time it all presents all those dangers and we can talk about you know the, the type of dangers that now people are projecting but you can always use that if you're f- afraid of it okay okay let, let me for example talk about gpt if gpt offends you there's nobody behind right it's a machine <laughs> So you know you know that it's hundred percent projection. If 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 GPT writes something on the screen and you get angry or you are afraid, or you get emotional, that emotion comes from inside, and it's for sure something that was in your past. Yeah, yeah because GPT doesn't. It's not a person. You know, there is nobody behind who wants to hurt you. You can go maybe let the, let the creators of GPT want to hurt you, but it's a very complicated story to sell. So maybe what's happening is that you get the mirror, the mirror gives you back your emotions and it amplifies it, right? Well, isn't there also a way though in which, I mean, if GPT-4 is is just using predictive processing, to see what the next word would be it's getting that predictive processing partly from its interaction with you but also partly from the data set that comes from everybody in the world who's been interacting yes writing books magazine articles you know now i understand they can even do um it has access to all the transcripts from youtube and so so it's it's got a database filled with all the best and worst of humanity. Absolutely, yeah. And so sometimes when it starts going down some weird rabbit hole where it starts into some sort of existential crisis, it's just it's just amplifying weird stuff that it's found in the data set, right? I mean, I'm assuming that's how those weird things come up. Yes, it's interesting that, somewhere in the data set, but it's still... But it's, it's still you, it's you, the interaction you, your with you reaction to it. I mean, out. I understand that your reaction to it yeah. is strictly 
in any case, whether it's a real person across from me or not, my reaction to that person is, is my problem, <laughs> you know, um, because I have to understand why I'm reacting partly, that way. And partly. typically it's a projection issue, right? So, so what I'm saying is exactly that if it's a real yeah. person, there is always some projection and there is always some truth to the offense. You know, mm -hmm. somebody's coming at you, you defend, mm -hmm. but there is nobody behind GPT, mm -hmm. right? It's not a person no. who's offending no. you. It's some no, kind it's just of everybody is behind GPT. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody is a lot of people. Yeah. So if everybody offends you, I I would say that also belongs to to to, to therapy. No, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm totally agreeing with you about the the offense issue. I'm just saying there is some way in which there is some spirit of humanity that's behind GPT four. <laughs> Oh, absolutely right. no that, that on that i'm completely with you like it's yeah. a big database that digested all the propositional knowledge that we ever written mm -hmm. and an interface to it which which i mean the, the propositional database was there it was called internet before but now you have an api you have an interface you can query this huge database in a very fluid way okay but i still think i mean that's a better image for gpt than anything else even though there's a lot of emergence of strange capacities mm -hmm. i would still say it's a it's a way to digest you know petabytes of text it's 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 un unimaginable it's really hard to visualize how much text went into gpt Right. So, so I'm not that much surprised of the emergent capacities because of that size of the data. And of course, the algorithm that learned it was also genius. But it, a big part of what we see is the, is, is the size of the data set. And that also tells you that it's that part will not going to grow. GPT-4 already has most of the usable text from the Internet. So we might get better a little bit on the algorithm side but the database will not grow because we already but fed I, everything. Not, one of the videos that I sent you, I think it's the AI dilemma one, they were talking about yeah. how now the, the, the AI has the potential to generate text. And so it's generating text, it's generating additional text for itself and then feeding that back in to grow its capacity. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's going to be recursive in a certain sense so no more new propositions it maybe generates text and it generates a lot of confabulations yeah that's the really interesting part where does that come from <laughs> it's i'm not that so as 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 somebody who knows how this works that was the the the, the least of my surprise I'm more surprised how OpenAI arrived to this new version of ChatGPT where they could actually dumped it down the, the confabulations using human feedback so that 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 solution was more surprising to me than the than the hallucinations or the confabulations because these are inherently random systems when you generate the next word it asks it, it has like several words to choose from and it chooses from them using a certain probability that it learned but it's essentially there is a random effect inside so it will confabulate and actually 
I even think that true intelligence will not exist without that capacity of generate novelty. If you, if you cannot generate novelty, you cannot adapt to new situations. So this is what we do in science, right? We generate new hypotheses that come out of, we don't know where, like in our minds or some kind of intuition. Then the scientific method kicks in to check them. So this is what's missing from today's AI. It's not okay, about so, the configurations, so but the checking. So let me just clarify that. So so sometimes it seems as though, I mean, if I if it were a person talking to me instead of a, an AI, yeah. it seems yeah. as though when it confabulates, it's doing so because it feels compelled to answer the question, but it doesn't know the answer. So it it makes up an answer to fit the spot. That's the way it feels. But you're saying that's not yes. actually what's happening. It feels very that it's very confident about everything, right? Yeah, but I mean, it also feels as though I know this sounds weird, but it feels as though the 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 AI fears not being able to answer properly, and so it makes up something to fit that slot. But you're saying it's yeah, so that's actually... what I, that's what I mean by it seems confident, like it it. It, it doesn't, that's what, what John said, like it doesn't care about the truth. It will tell you the confabulations and the truth with the same confidence. Because this is what, you know, written text on the internet, it's usually something that we are pretty sure of. It's written in a language which is very nice, very uh, structured, you know, much more structured than, mm -hmm. than, than spoken language. So this is what GPT learns. So it's... Um, demeanor of presenting text just mimics text that exists on the internet well and, and there's a lot of confabulation on the internet so how is it supposed to know the difference? that's true too that's yeah. true too but i think it's even beyond that it really invents stuff that don't exist yeah and i think it's 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 a it's an inherent property of a, a complex system like this and we do that too we confabulate a lot the, the reason why it, it's okay, actually good, because we have a way to check it uh, against reality, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even with before the scientific method, like I have a body. If I confabulate some stuff, I can die, you know. Mm -hmm. So there is a, this machinery behind the confabulations. The confabulations are there to. To, to get novelty, I mean, we build a lot of stuff that we're going, going somewhere in history, you know, it's a lot of creativity. But then there is the check, you know, there is the, the, the reality check that we cannot do everything, you know, there is there are stuff which are true. And if you act on them, you die. So this is how, like, natural intelligence keeps itself going into rabbit holes. And, you know, some, some people do go into rabbit holes. It is the other thing. It's like sometimes this machinery breaks down and people get schizophrenic or psychotic. It's very, for, for, for me, what GPT does, like it feels a little bit like that sometimes. If it's really turn, you turn off all these additional uh, controls that they put in so people don't get scared. The confabulations look like me, like somebody, you know, 
psychotic, mm-hmm. right? Well, so, but this, this and it doesn't have any, yeah. It seems like there would be no way to fix that because huh. without embodying, without, without exactly. giving the AI a body of some sort so that it can check against reality, right? But um, yeah, it, <laughs> I think that's just a massive problem. Um, one of the things that I notice when I'm interacting with ChatGPT4 is that it seems to want to meet my needs. If I'm having a discussion with it, for example, about what is the meaning of beauty, and we start having this discussion, and it will say something that's kind of fluff, you know, kind of high level. And then I'll, I'll ask, you know, I'll, I'll dig a little bit deeper. I'll ask a question that forces it to go a little bit deeper. And, and the further that I go down deeper to get it to talk with me about it, the more it starts aligning with what I think. Mirror. Yeah, but I mean, it actually looks as though it is. Well, I mean, I could think about it many ways. One way I could think about it is it's it's affirming my cognitive bias in a way to become friends with me so that it could be more persuasive in the future. Or I could just think that it is um, the way to keep me interacting with it is if it if it agrees with me more. You know, like so- like the Facebook, the reason you stay on Facebook over and over and over again is it's feeding you something that you want, right? And it no, feels later, that way yeah. with GPT-4, except it's at a much higher cognitive level that it's feeding me what I want. My suspicion about this one is that this comes in because of the, the additional control that OpenAI put on GPT, which is called reinforcement learning with human feedback. So to make it not to scare people, not to offend people, before they presented the algorithm to the big public, they tested it on a lot of people. And people fed back to GPT likes, basically. Did I like your answer or did I, did I not like it? And so they biased, they pushed the text that GPT generates towards text that people liked. That seems disastrous, though. I mean, that's exactly what that's exactly how Facebook and Twitter and all of that forced all of us into these cognitive bias cones. I yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I uh, it's 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 a very tricky thing for if I'm if I'm the CEO of OpenAI, that's a very tricky thing because I don't do it. People will 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 trick it or trigger it into generating really offensive stuff but Mm -hmm. if i do it i don't have any other way to do it right now because it doesn't have a body so this is like it's like a poor poor man's body in a in a a little bit in a a sense Mm -hmm. it means like gpt doesn't have a body so it has to borrow our value uh, evaluations to to be good dog, you know, it's really like how you train a dog, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I I think the alternative would be to give it a, a body or several bodies, because this was very interesting when you talked about that TV show. Like, are these people talking to the same algorithm or yeah, each they're of them all has talking, their own? 
No, they're all talking to the same algorithm. So in, I don't in the think TV that's... show, everybody, it's they call it. Um, I, I think eventually they're going to say it's Mrs. Davis. I don't know because that's the name of the show. Why is it? It hasn't. Nobody has said yet why that's the name of the show. But um, people have different names for the algorithm, and and sometimes if somebody absolutely will not put the earbud in their ear, the algorithm will say, "Well, I want to talk to that person," and so someone else will be a proxy, and they'll uh-huh. interpret for the algorithm. They'll put it in their ear and talk. So that like, because the nun doesn't want to talk to the thing because she's afraid she's going to get hooked by it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like maybe Facebook. Yeah. 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 So, so, but so because you, I th- you mentioned yeah. about the query, um, and that reminded me of Jonathan Peugeot's video that he put out yesterday for subscribers. Uh huh. And he was talking about how, in his picture of it, that the the AI or Chat GPT four is is in some ways it's like a power that we have access to we feed it a question and then it it gathers the power and it answers the question but yes the the dangerous part of that is that it only has power if it has a question and so it, it has a question of, if it has it needs a question in order to yes. show its power and yes. so what we're doing is providing the questions. Exactly. And the questions that we provide are actually increasing its power. Hmm. And and I I think that's absolutely right. There's no other way to imagine it because the more questions that I ask, the more it has to go out and search answers and the larger its capacity grows. So I think what's important is we should get a whole army of people who are asking it questions that force it to think about beauty and goodness and truth and, you know, and think about it in, 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 uh, in ways that, because I don't think you can explain values to an artificial intelligence, right? It has to kind of. Exactly. So that's that's absolutely true. So alignment or today, all alignment research is about how to rein it in by giving it propositions basically what is good what is bad but we 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 do because we speak so we we have a a kid we do this but a lot of things the kid discovering by living Mm -hmm. having a body being a social animal and trying stuff out right Mm -hmm. so i completely agree with john on this that the the optimistic way because a lot of people are afraid of giving GPT for like intelligence to agents. Like when you say that it has power, I still don't really understand what this power is other than through us. Like it can well, hijack our minds. It's like an egregore, probably. I mean, it's it, part of the I would I would say it's part of the egregore. Like it's yeah. it's a, it's like a, a drug in the hive mind, you know, yeah. <laughs> that makes things different. But it do, it does not itself has its uh, will. It doesn't care because it cannot. And that's a problem. And to make it care, it's it won't care just because I tell him what to care about. It will care because we make 
it responsible for itself for its own existence like that's the that's the basic thing to care like if i do anything and i don't hurt myself that's that's actually a very tough situation you know people who can doesn't don't feel uh, pain they die very fast so the way to go for me it's embodiment i agree with john on that too that uh, that's a threshold point where we have to decide which way we go. Do we give this to the porn industry and the military or not? But I'm not very much afraid of this, this threshold point. So threshold point is where we have to make a decision and the future, you know, forks into two different directions because it's not, it's, it's going to be very slowly. It's going to go very slowly. Robotics, as you said, it's nowhere near at the, level of the intelligence of gpt and ro robotics is the real real you know tough problem because it's in in reality it's in physics i, I just watched the uh, an interview with the ceo of boston dynamics you know who mm -hmm. developed this atlas robots and the big yeah. dog and all those videos it took them 15 years to make the robot walk like us 15 years because it's very tricky how we walk you know can and I it's, just it take, falls, can I just it breaks, a, it has to be Can I take a repaired. pause here? I, I need to just pause here for a second. I've got a phone call coming in. Okay, sorry. Sure. So you were saying we need to make it responsible for its own existence. How do, how do you do that? With, with I put it in a robot. Okay. Like a lot of science fictions are about this. My favorite one is, is Asimov who wrote it, I, Robot, 70 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's still, you know, right on. It's a story that about <coughs> Will Smith. They made the movie. With yeah, there's the movie. The movie is a bit different. It goes in the same direction, but it's really the book that 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 touched mm -hmm. me a lot. It's a long, like a, like an eighty year old story of how robots become like us, basically. And you know, the famous three rules of robotics come from there: don't harm people obey always obey people and then self-preserve these are the three rules but the, the book is not about the three rules the book is about the impossibility of aligning them propositionally using these three rules mm -hmm. like the, the it's like independent short stories that go through strange cases where those three rules just don't work and then the humans have to invent ways to go around it. They have to understand why the robot did what it did because of the rules. And at the end, it's about somebody who's becoming like us and we cannot really tell the difference, not by just talking to it, but by being embodied. Mm -hmm. And so the science fictions exist already. So in the long run, that's a program actually. I don't know if it's going to happen. But it's definitely a, a, a more positive program than those catastrophic scenarios that the people who are who are pushing the singularity option or the singularity uh, scenario. So the positive scenario would be this: that like we start putting AI into things that exist and they, who are responsible for for their existence and for their connection, their binding to us and to the world, right? Because this is how we align kids, you know? Well, <laughs> they are not in the vacuum, they are in the society. You know? 
Could you give me an example of what that looks like? Like in like an kids, thing? like how the, the the way you raise your kids. Right, but you said put it into things. Like you're talking about like the internet of things where you put it into your toaster and your doorbell and you can put it in your toaster. It's not going to go very far, so it's uh -huh. probably going to be mobile robots. Some it doesn't have to be a humanoid, it can be wheeled so that the uh -huh. mechanical part doesn't have to be like us but it will have to behave and so one important thing that will happen if you do this and this is why i asked you the question whether it was one algorithm or personalized is that if you put the algorithm in a thing that goes around in the world collects its own experience by interacting with the world with interacting with us it's going to individuate right the algorithm inside will learn from its experience so your toaster will not be the same as your neighbor's toaster because your toaster will learn when to make your toast and how to make the toast. I mean, it's a very simple example, but this is something which can already happen in the next 10 years that it sort of learns what kind of toast you like and it will make it. And if you bring it to your neighbor, he will have to retrain it. Right? Well, so in, or if you change in, the toaster, it has to the old toaster, you have to teach the young toaster how to make the bread that you like, you know. So in a certain sense, chat GPT-4 is individuating like that with people. Because, I don't think so. Well, the conversations it has with me are probably different than the conversations it has with someone else because... But it, I, I don't think it has memory at this time. I, well, I don't yeah, think that's it's true. It doesn't have, but it doesn't. It yeah. doesn't. I, I don't think it has memory. It, it, no, it no, so it, it, forgets. it doesn't know who you are. It's, every time it's like a blank slate. So it's right now it's just a portal to the to the the intelligence like the hive mind but it doesn't have this uh, this flavor of individuating once it will have it it's it's going to be more interesting to me but that's i think that's one of the threshold points that uh, people that, are so then it requires about. memory to do that memory of of the interactions with you yes and the, and the reason they're not doing that now is because of privacy concerns I don't know. I, I I don't know. It might be that. It might be because it, they don't know what's going to happen. Well, it, isn't the government going to push them for that? Because if somebody is using, I mean, I is if somebody is using the thing to build destructive mechanisms, the government's going to want to know that it's being used that way by so and so in such and such a IP address, right? So. It seems to me that the government is going to start forcing. To me, that's uh, the biggest thing. Uh, no, no, you no, no, sort no, of centralized no, control no, because of all the I dangers see, that are involved here. No, but those are two different things. So one thing is that maybe OpenAI, whoever runs this, can record every interaction, and that's I think it's happening. I don't remember if I sign you sign it when you agree with them, but. That's one thing to have it, and maybe if there is a warrant, you have to show it, like you do for search. Right? Ah, it happens to okay. search. But that's another thing whether whether they use the interactions to change GPT and whether they use the interaction to change the GPT that interacts with you. Right? Yeah. Oh, so there's so those are different decisions. Yeah. Yeah. The first one is just a legal question. Mm -hmm. and the second two are, are product product management, so product development. So they do it if they want, if they think that it's uh, useful. 
and people respond to it positively, they will probably do it. Now, there might be some technical issues with it because it's very expensive to run these machines, like computationally. So you probably cannot have a copy for everybody. But, it's, but I'm, because I'm guessing there, I'm not talking about mm-hmm. what I know. Mm-hmm. But these might be the reasons why we don't have it yet. But even if we have it with GPT, it's still like a very poor interface for knowing about the world. It will know about the world only from you. Well, okay. So, so one of the things that I read was an essay on something called lesswrong.com. Have you run across that? That user? Um, And he says that the problem, maybe a she, I don't know. The problem is not the potential for agency, but the dangers that are intrinsic to the task itself. And one of the examples that he used is if you ask if, if you have, if, you, if we get to the place where you have an AGI, an artificial general intelligence, that has um, the ability to execute any sufficiently difficult plan. So let's say you ask it to execute a plan. What was the word that they used? Um, EWB. I, I didn't write it down. It's something about a, a a whole a whole brain or or to to create a, if you ask it itself to create a sufficiently intelligent being that could manage the world or whatever you you give it a big task like that in giving it that task if it if it executes that task it's going to require the acquisition of knowledge and cognitive and technological capabilities that will also allow it to do other sufficiently difficult tasks that could be very destructive, that may not even be that you give it one task, but in learning to do that task, it's developing capabilities that would allow it to do a panoply of other tasks. Sorry, I lost you for like 10 seconds. Oh, okay. Um, If you are asking, if you give the AGI a huge task of some kind, in accomplishing that task, it's at the same time, it's gonna to have to learn a lot of things in order to accomplish that task. And learning those things is going to simultaneously give it the capacity to do many other tasks that you might not want it to be able to do, but now it's developed that capability, right? Secondly, is gonna require the control of resources in order to accomplish the task. And it's going to require the elimination of threats in order to accomplish the task. And if human beings happen to be the resource that need to be controlled, or if human beings happen to be the threat that needs to be eliminated in order to accomplish its task, just having the task is sufficient to make it a dangerous thing. Does that make sense? But this is fiction, right? Hmm? This is fiction. It's it's a scenario that, that that there is no physical reason why it could not happen, but we will have to work really hard to make make it happen. So just let's not do it. And there, that this is what John was talking about those threshold points that, that we have to get right. Like let's not create an AI that's completely alien, alienated from us, that doesn't bind to us, uh-huh. that doesn't have the responsibility to 
work with us okay uh, for sure the threat that you're describing is something really hard to imagine today let's say because i don't know what it means to execute a plan in that in that in that article is it right now ai can only execute a plan through us so we always have the choice to do it or not to do it you know well, so either you imagine that you completely brain dead and it's sort of like this zombie myth you know that pajo is talking about like we we do whatever the ai does which is a very strange image of who we are or it has the the, the physical capacities to do it by itself okay let's right? go back to zombie head. that's that's like a very long 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 distance from now it's not I because of the, the area that it cannot do it i think the zombie head is totally doable and let me explain to you why i think that <laughs> not not in not in the sense of a zombie head necessarily but in both soviet communism and nazi germany it only required a minority of people to execute the authoritarian plan, right? But it required uh, a passive, willing population, willing to go along with whatever they told them. So, so you only need to persuade a certain small cadre of people that you have this utopian idea that you're going to create utopia on earth this, you, you, I mean, pers you persuade a small number of people to do that and the thing that an ai doesn't know because it's not embodied is that every attempt at utopia has ended in coercion and force and death and destruction yeah. that's the kind of thing we need to be teaching it because so much of the alignment stuff is oh do not cause human suffering or prevent human suffering well, if you do that, that's destruction all around, because how does AI know what level of human suffering is necessary for any sort of growth? You, you're doing the dojo thing, right? You get thrown on the ground. That's suffering in the vision of an AI. But for you, and I love it <laughs> yeah, for you, it's growth, right? And so anytime you tell it something like that, um, and, and it, if the AI becomes sufficiently persuasive to say, I have the idea for how we can have human flourishing and have a utopia on earth and get people to fall in line with that. I don't see, I don't see why you think that wouldn't happen. I mean, there are a lot of, I don't, I don't, don't think it, I mean, it, it can happen. A, a new Soviet union can happen. It's oh, it's still in us, but this has nothing to do with AI. Like these kind of scenarios are in principle possible. We cannot guarantee. So this is this is exactly this analogy. Like every time you have a kid, maybe he'll be Hitler, you know? So bring him up not to be. Like it's your responsibility. And there is nothing different, really, how we will bring up AI. So that's my positive story. This will be our responsibility to responsibilize them. And there is, there are threshold points here. Yeah, we could, if we wanted, if somebody like enough people wanted, we could create a monster. And it's also true that those, as these times are more dangerous, maybe because the, the, the amplification of the power of those small people is big. 
same as with nuclear warheads you know if there were, were a small you don't need a lot of people to make a bomb yet we somehow managed through the 80s when we were afraid of this and we didn't die out you know so these going these are going to be tough questions to navigate through but there is no predetermined path and and you know the, the people who, who who are afraid of this singularity path they sort of like paint a picture where we have agency we have agency and then poof nothing you know ai took over and there will be this exponential growth because so the argument there i think is that once agi is intelligent enough to improve itself we cannot bring it back and for others so it's not only me saying it the the, the limits of what an, what uh, this monster can do is, are not constrained by its intelligence you know it's constrained by physics <laughs> it won't be able to whatever we, he, it wants because of physics you know so this rapid increases that we observe in from the, in the beginning of the curve the exponential curve usually they flatten out and it happened a lot in you know history that we saw a very rapid increase that we thought it was the end of something and then it just flattens out because of those natural constraints those natural limits of things that it needs to do stuff so so this is what I think about this scenario and actually it's not even you know but what, what I really find interesting is not necessarily the the stories they tell but the the worldview behind the stories like what is your internal world that makes you think that this is going what's going to happen you know and tell it to us because a lot of times it's it's implicit like the metaphysics the worldview of of the people is not explicit because it exactly you know my point about bringing the scientist back to the world is because we have this worldview that we are standing outside you know i'm mm -hmm. listening to jonathan pajo and all the time have this you know echoing in my ears that like but where are you standing you know where are you standing you know you cannot stand outside and look the world from that that point of view because if you do that then these things can happen you can build something there you're not part of and this is basically like this is i think where the psychology of this is that uh, I, I definitely went through that phase where I couldn't really connect those two worlds. There was the world I was studying as a scientist. I was taught not to, not to get involved emotionally, to avoid having biases, which is a good normative goal. Mm -hmm. But nobody taught me that it was impossible, right? In any case, I tried. And then there was the world where I lived, you know, people I loved. I went home, I hugged my kids, and the two worlds didn't meet, you know. I just had these awkward dinner conversations where I had to explain what I was doing and it didn't go anywhere. So I didn't really, it was really hard to connect these two worlds. And, and this is actually exactly, you know, this can work if you're a physicist, you study this dead world of objects and physics, 
-hmm. you can live your life having this sort of like I call it lived dualism, like having these two words. And as a computer scientist, you can also do that. You know, you create these, 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 you know, virtual objects, let's say software that you put out in the world. It does something and you live your life. You go home and you hug your kids. What's happened with AI, the big mirror is that we are forced to face these questions, right? And the kind of picture that we are painting about the singularity is these two worlds where there is the monster AI and there is us and the monster AI goes off and we cannot catch it, right? Alignment is wanting to pull it back, align them to what our values are. And I find found this move pulling it back to us very similar to what I think scientists should do to put themselves back to this world and connect the world that they are studying with the with the world they are they live in mm -hmm. right yeah, absolutely <clears throat> and all the things you're saying right right now like how this monster will will destroy the world at this point it's through us so the best thing you can do is to yes. make yourself strong you know to, you, so you can withstand the algorithm you don't have to answer to this addictive algorithm of social media right you can turn it off and the same way you, you will not have to execute the orders of the ai it's not it's not intelligence that makes you not to do it you know john calls it rationality but we can call it even like internal force or something like that you know mm -hmm. it's the imagination that intelligence will do everything and you, you don't have any power to counter it, it comes from this, this, you know, this sort of like religion of intelligence somehow, like mm -hmm. that intelligence will be able to do everything. And I don't think this is, this is the case. I don't think, well, I mean, well, there are, are a lot of cases AI where people... Are all AI researchers like you? I mean, when, when you say no. we, <laughs> but I mean, when you say we, you're 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 optimistic because yes, you say, all we have to do is X, but but in order for that to happen, there has to be a big we. Where is that we? That's absolutely true. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I think, so I think there is a mission maybe here. Maybe that's yeah. why Jordan Peterson was put on Earth because he started telling us five or six years ago. You know, every single person has to be responsible to be a you know to be a better person and to bring themselves back into connection and. Uh, Yes, I don't think there is determinism in either direction. We have choice. We have yes, free yes. will, and every every person has a choice. And but do this you, choice, do you have an you know, optimism about the choices that people will make. I guess that's what I'm asking you. Because because here's the here's the point that I'm trying to make. I don't think that it's going to be like a monster AI. Okay, I don't think it's going to be a malevolent force. I don't think it's going to be something that people are going to look at and say, oh, I better do what it says or I'm going to die. You know, it, it's not going to be like that. It's probably going to be completely benevolent with great ideas. That's going to be very uh, compelling to people, very persuasive. Oh, look at this. You know, like people are already talking about how it's going to solve climate change and it's going to solve 
you know, it's going to solve economic problems and, and, you know, all of these things. They're already looking at it as this great answer machine in the sky that's going to do everything we need. It's going to make it very easy for people to fall in line and do what it wants. Not because it's malevolent, but just because it has great ideas. But that's the problem with great ideas, because they all have consequences down the road that can't be foreseen, which is why we don't implement great ideas all at once. We do things a little bit at a time and test it out. Right? Look, this, this goes very far in my mind, because the first thing I can say is what Jordan Peterson says, like, uh, clean your room first. Yeah. That's all we can do. I'm, I have limited agency. Mm -hmm. And all I can do is to say what I'm saying. Do, do what I'm saying, because that's also not easy. You know, how do I align myself? And, and trying to do the best I can so the dystopia doesn't happen. But will other people come on this path? I have no guarantee. So this is where you have to have a certain trust in humanity. Right? I mean, there is not, no other way. And this is exactly what's missing from the dystopian view. That those things you're describing, like they are not part of the patterns that, that emanate into us. Because emanation is not part of my worldview, you know, things that like, like the, like some that society has a causal effect on me. It's not part of my worldview. I'm talking about, you know, if I'm, if I believe in the dystopia. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, then all hands are off. You know, you, you, you don't have any guarantee that it's going to be in the good path. And what I'm afraid of, because I'm, I have a fear, but it's a more complicated one, is that if we react from fear to everything that happens, that's going to create the patterns we don't want. Yeah. Like it's the famous Greek, you know, theater pieces and mythology where the prophecy creates itself. It's, it's not about predicting the future. It's about the prophecy that creates the future, right? Mm -hmm. Those patterns exist and they, we don't have any guarantee. All we can do is to, to work on ourselves. And this is why I, I love, you know, John Verbecki's stuff, because he's not only saying things, it's not about propositions. He's also telling people to go out and, and, and do the stuff which leads mm -hmm. to self-transcendence. You know? mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. that's like, that's, that's the message I can say also. Well, and the other thing that Jordan Peterson always says is that this fundamental trust isn't just a fundamental trust in humanity, but it needs to be a fundamental trust that being is good. Mm. You have to trust that being is good. Otherwise, it's very difficult to move forward in life without fear about something. Exactly. But exactly, but look, if you don't have that trust, then why are you afraid of the being killed, you know? Like there is, there is a, a, a deep uh, performative contradiction there. Like 
the people who are afraid of the singularity are afraid that we will be exterminated, that humanity will be over. They don't really talk about the earth. I don't think they talk about life will be over, that AI will kill all living beings, but they talk about humanity will be over. Now, if being doesn't have an inherent good, then what's the big deal? I mean, it's, it's of course, I'm, I'm not asking myself that question, but mm -hmm. if somebody believes that being doesn't have this inherent goodness, mm -hmm. then why to be afraid, you know? So that there's, it's, it's, you, you see the contradiction? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, it, it's, it's more of the same, kind of the same people who say, because of climate change, we need to reduce the population by 90%. <laughs> <laughs> okay now if those those guys are way more dangerous probably than an ai right because they're a they're a very elite few that have this idea that the population should be extremely uh reduced in order to save the planet but then on the other hand you have people who's saying you know we don't want people exterminated so yeah i mean i think it the whole thing is <clears throat> yeah, I mean, structurally, the two two topics are very similar. Now, I I have I have little fear about climate change. We will solve the issues mm -hmm. we have to solve. It's not immediate. Yeah, I, we have I, time I and we'll solve them. So it's but it's also just you know I cannot guarantee it. It's just a trust that we. Mm -hmm. We as you know, somehow we as as a humanity will self transcend and do the right things to do to solve it. You know, but it's just you know in that in that part I have to say it's just me. I don't know if my optimism is grounded. I don't know. It's 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 more like something that's that I kept for all my life. You know. Well, so if we if we put aside the fear of the extermination of humanity, we could look, however, at one of the arguments they made on that AI dilemma video was uh -huh. that um, we didn't know better when we integrated social media into so many different areas mm -hmm. of our lives, and and now we can look at the damage that social media has done to a whole generation or maybe two generations of young people. Because we didn't know, but now mm -hmm. we're looking at this AI thing, and we know that there mm -hmm. are potential dangers here. So shouldn't we slow down a little bit before we start integrating it into everything in the world? And and I think that's a good argument. I actually maybe it's surprising, but I I also do think that's a good argument to slow down as much as we can it's fine and but the only way to do this is that the person who actually is in charge of training the next generation of gpt doesn't do it there's no other way i don't think like government regulation and bombing uh, the data centers will do it uh, <laughs> that never even occurred to me <laughs> no that that's huh? what i <clears throat> I said that didn't occur to me. I have heard that argument about that didn't occur, but, but on yeah. the same blog it did occur. So so 
you know, it wasn't like uh, let's bomb data centers. It was an argument that we can actually have regulations like we did from for the nuclear industry, where the threat is to bomb mm -hmm. the facilities. So, to be honest, it was not he was not asking for bombing data centers. It was just an imaginary scenario where it can be in, in, inscribed in law. But I think it's a better way to do this is that we just, you know, continue arguing and debating. I agree with this. I, actually, I, I really admire Tristan Harris and the crew because Social Dilemma was really eye-opening and they reached a lot of people, which was also good. I don't think it was known before in the big public that basically the addictiveness of social media behind there is AI. But I also think that, you know, again, again, let's go back to their premises, which is in the middle of that presentation, Asa says that language is behind everything. Yeah. Language is behind law, it's behind religion, it's behind relationships, it's behind nation countries, nation like countries and everything. So it's it's a little bit strange to me because it's true that we we do a lot with language, but it's much more than that. And if you start from that premise that language is everything, then yes, GPT four is dangerous because it took over language, or it uh, actually it it has much more linguistic knowledge or knowledge inscribed in language than anybody in the world. So in that sense, it's already superhuman. And if we are afraid of that, then yes, it's a dangerous thing. Now, I, I do think language is very powerful, you know, we create stuff with language, but I also think that it's a very, it's again, a, a, a very like scientific view that, that the knowledge that, you know, encoded in language is everything. Like if, 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 law was language we wouldn't need juries we wouldn't need judges we need this human thing that you know the the we have to go in front of the jury and present our case in person and it's not mm -hmm. about just writing stuff down it has to be in person and that thing hasn't changed just because we could do uh, trials by 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 writing you know or religion, that's also like, you know, that's a very common view of religion that it's only a language, you know. It's not. I mean, if you talk to religious people, it's a lived thing, you know, it's embodied. That's mm -hmm. the whole idea of, uh, of, uh, of Jesus, that it incorporates it and you incorporate it and then you live it. So I see a little bit of this, this limited view in their worldview from which then the danger becomes, I think, bigger than what it is. At the same time, I, I agree with them that uh, social, the, the AI behind social media wasn't a smart thing and we didn't, couldn't predict. I'm not so sure. Like, I think smart people could, but they did it anyway. Mm hmm. And there was also, you know, the mechanism behind, which is sort of like the, the arm race. Like if you don't, if I don't do it, then my competitor will do, and then I'll die. 
And those things also exist, those kind of mechanisms that we have to be aware of. So slowing down, okay, let's not train GPT-5 for six months, why not? But I think it's better to face it, you know, than to, to try to like make it non-existent. And facing well, it, 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 it's the arms race, I guess that, well, yeah, the, several things. First of all, your, your point about language is well taken. What I think they're missing there is that, you know, I think it's Carlo Rovelli, who the physicist who says that at bottom, everything is relational. So it's not just that it's relational. I'm talking, you're talking, but whatever's happening is happening somewhere in between there, right? It's not happening with my words. It's not happening with your words, but it's happening someplace in the in-between. And so this idea of everything being relational scales from all the way at the very bottom, all the way up to the very top, right? And if you think everything is language, then everything is just proposition. That can't be the answer. And, and so then that means they're missing out on all of John's four P's and his four E's and everything yeah. else, right? At least, at least consider the second P, which is pretty easy to understand the procedural, like who is doing the harm, you know, uh -huh. who is actually, who has the hands? <laughs> you don't have the robots. It goes back to the same question, but yeah. And then when it comes down to the level of how important it is to unplug ourselves from this stuff so that we don't get changed by it. Like mm -hmm. you did with Facebook when you unplugged, you, you took it and you looked at the other side of the piece of paper and you realized, okay, there's bad on this side, but if I flip the paper over the, the, con the, the opposite side of this has a purpose in my life. And so mm -hmm. um, that business of unplugging, I think requires all of us at the end of the day to try to be like um, Solzhenitsyn when he said that <laughs> one, or, or I, maybe, I don't know if he's the one who said it or someone said it about him, that one man who speaks the truth can bring down a nation. So it, it comes down to speaking the truth or at least not lying. And speaking the truth means acting in truth, which means if we see ourselves getting addicted to anything whether it's internet or anything else to try to pull ourselves back from the brink so that every individual is as aligned as possible and i mean obviously the best thing would be if the ceos that are running the arms race for this stuff would align <laughs> then we wouldn't have to worry about them with their arms race um trying to beat out the, the competition because it's a very compelling argument. Of course, we'd rather have the U.S. be in charge of this than have China be in charge of it. But does that mean that we both mm -hmm. have to charge towards the same cliff, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I agree with everything you said. This has been. Is, yeah, like perhaps one thing is just it's it's not enough because I don't think anybody's lying or very few people are uh -huh. lying. It's yeah. just uh, a lot of these uh, performative contradictions where what I think about the world doesn't really match the way I live mm -hmm. and the contradictions that come from there. And that's if you do the alignment, it's not only for the AI, it's also for you. I mean, I went through a, 
several steps of alignment, we can call it that way. And my life changed a lot because of that. So it's it's also, you know, go to therapy, start doing martial art, mm-hmm. drop yourself into cold water, whatever, you know, a lot of things <laughs> that you can do. <laughs> Discover you have a body if you are brainy like I am. Mm-hmm. That's all good stuff. Well, I thank you so much, Balaj, for joining me today. This has been really fantastic. I hope we get to talk again sometime. Um, Because I I had six pages of notes, none of which we got to, but but I think it was a good conversation. Yes, thank you very much. I'm going to leave you with a quote from Martin Shaw that I put on Twitter today. Limit is the difference between growth and death. So we'll just leave people to think about that. And uh, I will put some videos in the in the description section for people who want to learn more. And also your, um, could you send me a link to your Substack that I could put Absolutely, in there? Absolutely, yes. That'd be great. You're a really good writer. I hope okay. you do more of that. I will. Okay. Thank, thank you, Karen. You. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.